Hey guys, what's up? It is week 260. That's right, uh, five years without missing a show consecutively. Uh, yeah, so I guess I'll give you guys uh, the announcement on the prize here. So this is coming from my personal collection. Now this is the second copy I ended up getting of Robotrix from 88 Films. This is the Deluxe Edition. It's still sealed. Um, I have not watched the Deluxe Edition yet. I have one myself. Love this movie. It's really crazy from 1991. Cat 3 movie. Uh, bonkers as shit. It is Region B locked though. And also remind you, I will ship out of United States. But I am not paying for the shipping. And if anything goes wrong, if it doesn't make it, if it gets returned... So be it. That's on you. Uh, but you can enter. To enter, um, to get one entry in the contest, I'll draw in a few weeks, send an email to davidparker1986 at live.com. And uh, you won't get any uh, spam or anything from this. Um, just shoot me an email, and in the topic, put contest. And you'll be entered one in, one entry to get a chance to win Robotrix. Really sleazy, crazy action, sci-fi, exploitation film from Hong Kong. Um, awesome movie. Um, and now, if you want more entries than that, <clears throat> there is a chance to do that. And since I don't have too many entries, um, I've had too many reviews on iTunes or Apple or anything like that, or any of the podcatcher pod places, basically leave a written review uh, on um, Apple a Podcast or Stitcher or Spotify, wherever you listen on the the feed, the Mr. Parker and Secret Top 10 feed. Take a snapshot of it and send it in that email. And if you've already done that, um, just take a snapshot of it, send it in that email, and I will give you five entries in. Um, so that's basically one, just send an email, say contest and, uh, for five, leave a written review and rating on Apple or Stitcher, wherever you listen to the podcast, take a snapshot and send that to me. So, yep. Now let's hop into, um, the reviews and I'm going to start this off, uh, with, uh, with a doozy. Let me take a sip of coffee to get started. Now I'm doing commentary on exactly what I'm doing to you guys. Okay. All right, so this is a freaking doozy. This is my most anticipated movie for the last couple of years. Right when I heard about it, I said, that sounds like this was made for me. Um, and this is 2021's The Sadness. Now, I had heard about it, I think, la- a couple of years ago it was getting made. And then I was hoping it would get released in 2021. I was hoping and hoping and hoping. And I'm sure it did overseas in different places and uh, festivals and stuff. But it didn't get one released uh, until um, a hard format release until this year. This is a German import. It is getting put on Shutter, I think, in May. And I'm sure that Raven Banner, which is kind of the, the company behind it, is probably distro company is going to release an American release. This is um, a 4K, though, here. And it also has the Blu-ray. It's a nice little media book. Now, you can see it's in German. Doesn't do me any favors. But, uh, okay, so basically this was described as like a hyper-violent and sexual zombie kind of style film. Now, before I get into the whole, is it a zombie movie, is it not a zombie movie, yada, 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 we'll just call it an infection film, kind of in the same vein. A lot of zombie films, a lot of infection films kind of have the same kind of components to make them. But, uh, okay, so the plot is essentially, 
if anybody's ever read the graphic novel Crossed, it's kind of in that vein where uh, essentially all these people are infected with something. This is this time it's a virus. It's very kind of COVID kind of heavy. It has some of the political stuff in there as well. And uh, essentially everybody becomes who's infected with this virus becomes like a rage sex fueled kind of uh, I don't want to say mindless because they think but their main objective or goal is to hurt and kill and rape and torture as many things and people as it possibly they can get to. So essentially it follows two characters that uh, meet, they're they're together in a relationship and they're trying to get to each other through this whole entire crazy uh, you know mayhem filled day. Um, so essentially that is the setup and the plot and everything like that. I'll get into some of the little story stuff that I really enjoyed in that without trying to spoil any uh, too much. So, um, okay. Uh, I love this movie. Uh, this is a movie tailor-made for me. And I've seen so many people saying, no CGI gore, no CGI gore. It's completely CGI-free of gore. And... Here's what you people don't realize. They, a lot of people were saying they didn't notice any CGI. There's CGI in the movie. Like you could tell here and there, yeah, there's there's bits of CGI, but it's good CGI to help with the practical effects. So, like, uh, 90% of CGI that is, like, solid, people never even notice it. So, like, that's the thing is they hate on CGI a lot, but a lot of the times the CGI in these movies is there. They just don't notice it because it's good CGI. I, I love practical effects, too. This has plenty of practical effects, and they just use CGI to help along with some of the things obviously it couldn't do. Um, really, the main kind of thing that really hurts a movie with CGI is, you know, live live animals, out-of-place animals, where everything else is practical, and then you have, like, a CGI animal, which looks really weird. Um <laughs> Or you add in the CGI blood splatter, which this movie does not do. Plenty of fucking blood without adding the CGI blood splatter. So, um, yeah, I, I will have a spoiler section as well. But what I loved about the movie is how it kind of... It, it's not anything exactly 100% new. Like I said, we have the graphic novel Cross, where we have basically what the director says, sex zombies. He says so himself. Um... But we also have other movies that came before that kind of have the sex-infected kind of style. The Taint, where um, the water is contaminated and all men have giant erections. And I believe that there's going raping and everything. It's been a while, but the movie's absolutely hilarious and, and crazy. Um, and then we also have Shivers by David Cronenberg, where they're less violent in their sexual activities, but it's spread through sexual contact. This one is more in the line of the cross, where the care, the, the, the um, I, I guess I'll call them sex zombies. Not necessarily zombies, but you know what I mean. Um, infected are just raping and pillaging everything in sight. And there's like a couple of huge set pieces in the film. Um, but once it starts, it never really slows down. Um, and, and there's a couple characters that they meet people that are infected that kind of fall throughout the entire movie, kind of what 28 weeks later was trying to do with Robert Carlyle. But the movie never really set, it set forth the rules in the first film and then broke them within the second, which kind of was weird. This one, it kind of sets forth everything within the rules within this movie. So what the, 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 Infected don't really do stuff they're not supposed to do, if that makes any sense. Um, again, I am a big fan of like the zombie and infected kind of stories because you can do so much with them. Um, like this, you kind of do get a glimpse into the psychology of the people, probably who they were before, and kind of what they had all their deepest, darkest desires and stuff that come to fruition, which is something that I love that people lose, like that, 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 in a bit, you know, that thing that stops them from fucking doing this shit. And that's kind of like just what if. Um, so, like, um, yeah, like I said, there's like these effects in here that are just gnarly and insane. Um, 
Now, a lot of the sexual violence, it's there, they show it, but there's a couple scenes that are implied, and that's probably for the best for most people. <laughs> so, but but they do imply a lot of really messed up stuff. Uh, there, there's just like nice touches that come there that reoccur throughout here, and just like little things that add, like a television broadcast without spoiling too much. Um, when the carnage is there, like the adrenaline, there's like a lot of adrenaline chasing and running and stuff that's typical of these movies. But uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I love this thing. This is probably one of my favorite movies. This is going to be probably one of my favorite movies that came out in the last 10 years, hands down. Um, it was tailor-made for me, um, this kind of stuff with the, the crazy kind of hyper-violent, uh, you know, stuff and the practical effects and just the, the kind of um, infected zombie subgenre, which is my absolute favorite. So the one thing that I always will point out that cracks me up is we have a vampire, we have a million vampire movies and we have a different million different vampire kind of mythos. And, and to point out to people, you know, that say that this can't be a zombie movie because they're alive. It can't be a zombie. So the zombies in Serpent and the Rainbow aren't zombies, even though they're Haitian zombies they're not technically dead or let's say that um now vampires can be alive or dead because one of the greatest novella vampire uh stories of all time i am legend there's two types of vampires alive and dead um so so you have that in there too but they're all considered vampires but when we get to the zombie thing people are so very picky about it because it's a relatively new creature when we talk about the romero zombie even we're talking about the haitian zombie the voodoo zombie that's very old but it's so funny werewolf movie every werewolf movie every vampire movie the 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 rule are different, everything is completely different, but when we get the zombies, if they're not dead, they're not zombies, but technically we have all sorts of things going on here. So like we have zombies that are dead um, and undead, kind of like they act like zombies. They're mindless, they would be a zombie, but here they're not mindless and they're not dead. So we have all these other different kind of things here. We're 28 days later, they're mindless, but they, they're, they're not dead. Um, then Dawn of the Dead, um, the original, they are running on instinct and they're also dead. Um, so, so it's like, uh, they're technically kind of mindless, right? But then we start hitting things like Shatter Dead, where they're not mindless at all, but they are dead. And the reasons for them. So it's like, I never really like split hairs on it. Under the whole entire genre, zombie infected kind of fits the same. But then you also have, you know, kind of almost like... uh supernatural kind of ways that these kind of infected people get possessed and stuff like demons, which is not a zombie movie. It's a fucking demon movie, but they act just like violent demons, but that spreads through contagion like a zombie film. Um, or you get stuff like a wreck, which is definitely kind of a, a, a Catholic uh, uh, kind of spreading of it. So like the weird zombie rules and everything and people are splitting airs and arguing about it, whatever. You know, I even, um, Alberto Lenzi is like, Nightmare City is not a zombie movie. It's an infected movie. Um, I call them all kind of in the same umbrella of zombie infected kind of style films. Uh, you know, they all do the same thing. Um, the only difference is are they fast or slow? Really, that kind of sets up the different kind of storyline in here. But uh, anyways, I, I thought the two leads in here were really great, uh, really likable. You know, I, I was pulling through them the entire, pulling for them the entire movie. All the other characters that pop up here, um, I, I also enjoyed, especially um, a, a character who's on the front cover, a lot of the posters and stuff, I thought they were tremendously um, gifted in their acting talent of being a fucking creep. Um, but yeah, 
I love this thing. A violent, kind of infected film that I think a lot of people will enjoy. Um, now, a lot of people are saying, it's not as gore, it's not as messed up, or or as I thought it, yada, yada, yada. Come on. I mean, in a world with the Serbian film and lots of other things, you're not going to get that hardcore extremity in a lot of films, especially ones that have budgets. This one delivers a lot of the shit that people are looking for, and very rarely does a movie have this kind of money behind it um, where you can see, like, this much carnage in terms of just, like, kind of, like, oh moments uh, in a film. Now, I, I, I love it. Like I said, I would highly recommend it. Um, I did notice my disc um, had a couple skipping moments in the, in the 4K when I took it out and I was like, there was like something possibly wrong with it. Like it was manufactured quickly and there was like some like residue on the top that looked like it came from the disc. So I, I got an exchange just because I watched it twice and it, it kind of did it twice. So in the same general area and I was like, oh, it skipped a little bit there. It's probably kind of a, a slightly manufactured poorly disc so I got a new disc coming from them and I'll just hold on to this because I'll probably watch it again until I get my new disc but it's just so people know watch your movie it doesn't seem to probably be in all the all the discs or anything like that just maybe I got unlucky with this one um now time for the kind of spoiler uh kind of part here um Another thing I really liked about the film was kind of like uh, you can tell when the characters are starting to change. Like they start to like kind of leave their comfort zone where a character tries to talk to this this girl on the subway, uh, one of the main characters, this older gentleman. And you can tell that for, for the way he talks, you can see that he's obviously had some sort of like eyes on her for a long time and never would say anything typically. But as like he, you know, the virus probably slowly got to him um, before he's fully changed with the, the bulging red eyes, he's kind of like, oh, you know, uh, trying to talk to her and he actually grabs her hand at one point and you're just like, oh, these kind of things are coming out more and more. And like, it's just kind of really screwed up. Like, and one of the characters, one of the people that turns starts stabbing everyone on the subway and he mentions, did I break the record? Kind of like he had these, these dream, these ideas, these gross fantasies of actually stabbing a bunch of people on the subway. So it's just like lots of stuff like that. Reminds me of a little bit, of course, you know, Romero's kind of instinct that they had in there. That's not instinct. And that's instinct in, in the Romero movie movies, but still, it's going back to something that they enjoyed in their lives. This one is, instead of that, has like these deep, dark secrets that they possibly wanted to carry out, this violence and rape and torture and stuff that they wanted to carry out throughout their lives. Um, and, and we see that kind of stuff like in like I Am Hero, um, which is a great zombie flick. You'll see kind of a character like driving a cab, and they'll, they'll kind of, they have something they always said, and they're starting to lose like their grip, and I love those moments in these kind of movies where you see like the change you know, overs and stuff like that where you're starting to see their slips and grips and it's all handled differently in a lot of zombie films and I like to kind of focus on the differences in like zombie and affected movies what causes them to be the way they are and how it how how it is and how fast the turn is and all this kind of shit in there um but yeah it's just a really great film um and there's an amazing scene with some fry grease. I mean, there's a nose-biting sequence. All this stuff is, is fucking intense and gory. And, and there's side characters that you meet throughout the movie that, uh, you know, some you root for, some you don't. Um, and there's a couple, like I said, set pieces in here where you're just like, oh, boy. Um and I, I love the, the scene where, like, they are enjoying themselves. A lot of them are smiling through the violence, but they also have the sadness. 
because as one character explains the possibly why they're crying is because they do have that deep guilt that that guilt that's inside all of us and like but they have this this uh this impulse that they cannot control any longer so as they carry out these horrible acts of murder and mayhem they're crying and they have these crusted nasty tears under their eyes and shit it's just a really cool movie and i love it so i mean i'd probably watch it again i'll maybe have one of my friends watch it just to watch their mind get blown uh and i don't want to hype this up that much because i know that it here's what it is like i i had had it hyped up a lot and i was kind of like taking i purposely made i didn't want to i i was basically like now dave this might not be the greatest thing ever so when i did watch it i I didn't have the most high expectations i had decently high expectations but um it it delivered on my decently high expectations that's the sadness it also looked really good and sounded really good on 4k um yeah hdr and all that good stuff recommended man and this is the director's uh first feature film so uh yeah i'll be buying all your movies from now on man great stuff Okay, the next one here is from Film Detective, which never fails to disappoint on quality here. And this is uh, Girl on a Chain Gang. And uh, yeah, this is some 50s. Is it 50s? Yeah, 1966. Duh, not can't be 50s. Um, But yeah, this is a 1966 exploitation film. And um, this is directed by Jerry Gross, who would do more productions and and stuff like that. Um, Not necessarily direct too many movies. But the actor in here, William Watson, is the one I believe is the actor I'm thinking of that I recognized. And he pops up in stuff like um, The Hunting Hunting Party and um, Chato's Land. He's also in Stingray. He's a very kind of memorable character actor from this time era in exploitation movies. And now I know, like following people like Mike Malloy on Facebook, he's a big fan of this actor. So he, he stuck out with me, and I remembered his kind of face, especially when I watched Stingray. I was like, I'd seen that guy a couple times before. So uh, Girl on a Chain Gang. This movie drove me completely mad, and I mean that as a compliment. So essentially what we have here is kind of um, a, a trio of people are traveling through the South, and uh, they have an African-American male, a white male, and a white female. And they get pulled over by a couple good old boys, kind of stereotypical, you know, Southern characters, Southern cops, crooked cops, and this kind of thing. And they're, they're giving them a hard time. They take them down to the, the local jail, and we have William Watson there. And he is just this angry son of a bitch. He, he hides a whiskey bottle right when they walk in. And this is like a 30-minute, it feels like 30-40 minute scene, this jail scene here. And it's just this horrible kind of you generally feel trapped how he's talking to them how he's kind of framing them how he robs him blind and it's just really messed up stuff and he has this religious kind of feel teal to him and like it's it's such a like a a, a character that we've seen in so many of these movies or or has been in a lot of these kind of films right the stereotypical racist horrible sheriff that hates the hates the northern guy or girl and and looks at them as you know um anti-religious all this kind of shit and they're they're just like he's clearly racist and he's cop and all this kind of shit. It's enough to drive you completely mad and this whole small town backwoods mentality, right? These are kind of the movies that like gave the South a bad name for a long time, right? But um, as it progresses, I mean, of course, it's called Girl on a Chain Gang. So we kind of have the second part of the story where she actually ends up, that, towards the end, actually, last 20 minutes or so, she ends up in kind of this, uh, this chain gang with a group of African-Americans and there's like escape and all this other kind of stuff. And I don't want to spoil too much, but man, 
on like it's just kind of like um, as a cheap exploitation movie goes you can tell it's kind of really cheap because I feel like it's shot on short ends or something because there'll literally be scenes of characters standing there talking in a one shot no no cuts and then it will like jump like the film jumps obviously they started a new reel or they had to have another take and they didn't want to cut in the middle or something like that so it's super cheap it's super kind of uh, sloppy in a lot of ways like that but it is an exploitation movie so you kind of expect that kind of shit um, as far as the special features are concerned we have Girl on a Chain Gang Race Rednecks and Civil Rights an original essay by Lisa Petrulli from Something Weird Video which was interesting and it's all in the title Exploiting Jerry Gross a short history of semi-legendary producer and author film with film historian Chris uh, Pelagi and that kind of goes over his career and mentions how he was behind getting like I Drink Your Blood out there and stuff like that if I'm not mistaken um, the movie is, is very low budget and kind of so I mean, it looks pretty good. I mean, like I said, Film Detective is really good about cleaning up bad-looking old movies and doing a wonderful job. And some of the stuff, like their film noirs that they released, I was like imp- super impressed with. Or like um, Giant from Unknown um, was just amazing looking. And this one looks as good as it can look. I guarantee that. I mean, they never do bad work. So yeah. Anyways, if this sounds like it's up your alley, Girl on a Chain Gang, you can see an early performance by William Watson. He's really good, and he didn't do that many movies as much as you, he should have done for like kind of his grizzled like kind of voice and, and haggard kind of like uh you know demeanor about him so anyways uh, good stuff really recommend this and it's just it's enough to drive you crazy the way the small town works and operates and shit like that it's like classic exploitation stuff here right exploitation i guess you'd say okay this next one here we're on like a lot of exploitation movies this week so um, it is 1975-1976 Forced Entry. Um, this is from Dark Force Entertainment. And uh, this is was released at one point earlier. And it was kind of like a, a director's cut by uh, Jim Sotos. And I think they even had another cut on there as well. So Jim Sotos, he also went on to direct um, My Sweet 16, which is kind of a, a slasher thriller movie with Don Stroud. And it, it's a decent film, which also has a couple cuts on it. So Forced Entry kind of got a, a weird history. Uh, originally in, what, 19. 19- 75 they made a roughy film about a vietnam vet who comes back and he kind of rapes a lot of women he's all messed up and kind of in the vein of something like water power that's really kind of a grungy gritty kind of roughy if you guys aren't familiar with roughies they kind of mix uh, hardcore sex with horror and exploitation and style and that kind of deal so they had this movie and then in 75 76 they went ahead and made a remake a horror kind of thriller version remake still exploitation drive-in grindhouse thing but not full pornography and who was in the other one was that harry reams was in i can't can't remember who was in forced entry it's been a long time i don't hell i think i know i have a copy sitting here somewhere so essentially um this is it's a strange thing like how do you remake a porno if somebody says it's usually the other way around right so uh yeah this one follows the story of like i said like a damaged vietnam vet he works at kind of like a, a gas station kind of like he's newer there nobody really likes him he's definitely an outcast but he's a decent enough looking guy um so like the movie at first follows his, his kind of exploits and his narration and just like talking and just like uh obviously messed up person and we see like two or three of these murder rapes that he has and and um, they're obviously very unpleasant, very exploitative, and, and some in the woods. One is of Nancy Allen, one of her first films here. Um, I think Tanya Robertson is also in this, and she plays a bigger role. But like for the first like 30, 45 minutes, we have that kind of deal. We, we witness these few murders and him just kind of being like this outcast. And, and he's, he's a very typical character from these kind of movies where he doesn't interact uh, with like men very well. Like if they, they obviously have like an eye, uh, he, he like kind of, 
coils up and and just but when just just women around he's completely like sleazy kind of character right um but the second half of the movie is you know kind of a home invasion kidnapping where tanya robertson's kind of tied up in this house and he's having these delusions a lot of times and like you've learned this through the narration where he becomes infatuated with this woman and there there's like a lot of these kind of like i said 70s movies where like after psycho we had a lot of these kind of damaged 70s characters especially when we get to the 70s we have more of an exploitation spin on them like you have don't go in the house house and and maniac in, the, in 1980 and again forced entry and then like so we have all these kind of even martin is a character similar to that although not as exploitative of course but you have these characters that are psychologically damaged and, and all that kind of stuff so this is a very sleazy and and seedy kind of movie i would imagine that the i, th- I personally feel the first half is going to be much i would imagine it flows a lot better for more people because it has like a lot of different areas and stuff and, and the, the murders are unpleasant as shit but then we get to the second half we have kind of the home invasion which seems a little typical a little kind of slowed down and just a little bit stagnant to be honest in comparison to the first half of the film on the disc we have a a a bonus cut version a a longer version of the film which is from a vhs source it's 88 minutes instead of 85 minutes and it seems like they add more back to the rape scenes to be honest more exploitative and and like kind of recut some things around in those kind of scenes to be honest and that's where it kind of stems it and they change like some the opening i think they put at the ending with the narration and switch things like i said i've never actually watched the first dark force release which was the director's cut he probably i think he went back and changed some things probably maybe some of the rape stuff was a little uncomfortable with and everything like that but um yeah forced entry is a movie that i never ever did get to see the um the regular version of it so it's kind of like check off the list of of those kind of exploitation nasty movies from the 70s and 80s i I enjoy watching a lot of those or just seeing them and this one i thought was all right like i said the first half i was like oh we're going to be in for something really special but when we get to the second half it's kind of a little bit of a letdown in comparison, but not horrible. And I feel like a lot of people that um, wanted to see the the kind of original version can finally check it out again on Blu-ray. Um, now, again, this is a grindhouse kind of movie, so picture quality is is decent. It's 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 as solid as it can be, I guess. I I mean, I have nothing else to compare it to except the VHS rip, and it's much better than that on the disc. So yeah, that's forced entry. Okay, now we're gonna start this box set here. It's Twisting a knife. Uh, what is it? Four films by Claude Charbrow, and I did the Charbrow. I did the first box set, uh, Lies and Deceit, with five films. And the first one we're going to tackle in here is from, I believe, the uh, early 90s, which shows that this guy started his long career from the 50s all the way up until um, like 2009 or so. And uh, what year was this? 90-something. Sorry about that. But this is uh, The Swindle. And, uh, yeah, this is more of a kind of a, a thriller comedy deal, but, uh, it does have its moments of kind of suspense and everything like that. And I don't want to call it an all out comedy cause it's not really that, but like I said, it's a thriller and it's kind of drama and all that kind of stuff too. So essentially what we have here is, um, the lady from, uh, Madame Bovary kind of stars in this. She's really solid in this very, very entertaining in this one. And, uh, her and an older gentleman who, um, they basically have this whole big swindle, this con, and they go to like these like hotels where they know there's going to be these big conferences and they kind of like kind of pick up people and they kind of manipulate them and end up stealing a bunch of money from them. that's how they survive their relationship is absolutely hilarious they're back and forth and all this kind of stuff and the games they play but uh in the very beginning of the film it's a wonderful scene because you exactly don't know what's going on and you see how she kind of digs her closet of this guy and you don't really know where it's going or who everybody is and that that led for a really uh interesting and uh and very 
entertaining kind of opening. But eventually, these two get involved with this uh, kind of he's transporting this money, and they're on like this skiing trip with him. And they're all trying to like do these dual layers where the one person doesn't know, and you really don't know who's going to betray who at this point. And the guy they're they're working on is actually from um, uh, Torment, which is another Claude Chabrol film, which is a really good movie, and he plays the husband in that one. And this one, he plays kind of like a dim-witted somewhat uh, character here. But as they kind of dig deeper and they learn that there's a, 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 a huge amount of money here, um, there's also some other criminal elements and it becomes a lot more dangerous. And there's a scene where they're, they're kind of like, you're wondering how they're going to play their cards and it's played brilliantly and suspenseful and you really don't know exactly what's going to happen. And it leaves on a great satisfactory note. Like I was like, I like that's exactly how I wanted this thing to end and I'm highly appreciative of it. Like I said, it has these funny moments or dialogue back and forth and, and like like just these small little character quirks that are really excellent. So like no complaints on any of this guy's movies so far. They've all been very good and they all have like a, a certain tone and charm about them. And you could tell they're all him, but they're all different at the same time, which is the best way to be same and different. If that makes any sense to anybody. But as far as the features are concerned, we have brand new audio commentary by film critic, Barry Forshaw and author, Sean Hogan, Sharbra's soap bubble, a brand new visual essay by Catherine, uh, Cose, author of Claude Chabra, the aesthetics of, uh, um, <laughs> opaque uh, opacity I'm sorry about that exploring the games that Charbonne plays with the characters and audience film is a family affair a lot of French and stuff that st- throws me off um, the stepdaughters of Claude Charbonne and his assistant director of 14 features discusses his life work and wisdom in the exclusive new interview then we have behind the scenes feature at archival interview with Il- Isabel Herbert and archival introduction by film scholar Joel Magny so yeah we also have select scene commentaries by the director himself so anyways I really enjoyed this one I thought it looked great and sounded great and and I do have trouble like pinpointing what year these come out because like you watch them and they have like a quality of an older film a lot of times, but they're usually newer and they look spectacular. So like I have trouble, like I've said, like all his movies do have this certain flavor to them. And like, I would like to see some of his older stuff get released, like the butcher and stuff like that from 1970. But this, these are doing really well for me. I mean, as far as like quality is concerned and next week, I think we're going to check out the color of lies. So, uh, yeah. Anyways, that is twisting the knife. Good stuff. Okay, this next one is from Cohen Media Group, and this is actually Dementia. Not to be confused with the Dementia 13 film. This is a different film from 1953, a.k.a. Daughter of Whore, which is a recut version of this movie where they add narration with Ed McMahon. Yes, sir. So, uh, yeah, Dementia. This is a strange film. It runs about an hour long. And I guess, just like glimpsing it, um, I actually saw this, uh, somebody wrote that this is basically the director, John Parker, his only directorial film. I think he popped up in some other things or was involved with some other movies as well. But I don't know if that's the same John Parker. Um, You know how that goes sometimes. Uh, But, so... um, I guess his secretary had a nightmare. That's what I read. I don't know how accurate this is. And he decided to make a movie of it. And he he put the his actual secretary in the lead role. So this is a film noir movie. But it's more horror than a lot of film noir. Because it has a super... like it, It's a nightmare. It's legitimately a psychological nightmare. That you, you're obviously tackling into this person's psyche. And everything like that. So the opening of the film. like We have this newspaper kind of fly up. And it's constantly following this lady around. And she's going down the road. And, and it's just like... 
so-and-so stabbed, murdered, and, like, the tracking shots, the following of her is really excellent, the zoom-ins and all that stuff is really well done, the dark alleyways, the shadows, the atmosphere, and, and you basically go on an hour-long trip of weird shit, kind of diving into her psycho- psychology, and, and characters play multiple characters, like, the cop character that's following her is also her father, and, and this moment where they go to the cemetery, and they kind of witness something of her past, you imagine, and, like, you get into her, like, you genuinely have the fear you would have in an actual nightmare. If anybody's ever had dreams where they accidentally commit a crime and they're horrified of being caught and, and it literally captures that to a T where you have like this this horrible feeling of guilt but also fear of being caught and the, the idea of being locked away forever. But it, it just does this in this film noir nightmare style where like you literally feel like you're here and you're trapped and it just like I don't know how to explain it but this is one of the mo- most accomplished movies I've seen at capturing a nightmare if that makes any sense in that kind of surreal way but it's also plays as like a film noir there's not really any dialogue really to speak of it's very much silent and it's just a super weird film i wish there was some features on here but there's not really they have the daughter of horror recut um which i listened to the narration in the beginning and ending with ed mcmahon and it's just like really like cheesy corny and it's just like obviously dumbed down for the audience where they're like imagine like if like rod sterling sucked and i mean not that ed mcmahon sucks but you guys get the point. It's just like, uh, it's so silly. and so ridiculous. It's obviously that the people could not like grasp how weird this fucking thing was. The studio was like, we can't sell this. We don't even know what's going on. This is insane. So they obviously got the narration and everything like that. But it genuinely was creepy and weird. And like, of course, there's a murder that takes place. And it's just, uh, yeah, it's a fucking nightmare. And it's perfect. And, and it, 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 it's well done. It looks great. It sounds great. I was impressed. They show a restoration like exchange and like how, how much they like changed. Like it looks so washed out and overly brightened and everything like that. Now it looks fantastic. So that is Dementia. Um, I was very impressed with it. I did not know what to expect. I had not really heard of this movie. I, I had, I think, briefly, maybe. Um, I think Joe Dante talked about it on the movies that made me. I think he brought it up before. It sounds like something he would enjoy. Um, but yeah, I was kind of impressed with it. It was nightmare. Nightmare fuel. Nightmare logic, too, of course. And, that, and that's the best kind of compliment for this kind of movie. Oh boy, now we're going to continue the sleaze, sleaze here because we did a bunch of sleazy movies. And this is from 1982, am I not mistaken? I believe it's from 82. A great year for film and a great year for Charlie Bronson. This is Death Wish 2. This is the Vinegar Syndrome 4K. This contains the director's cut and the theatrical cut. Yes, the director's cut uh, has the more graphic rape scene and everything like that and uh, the suicide, of course. So this was made, what, um six, seven years after, eight years probably after the original Death Wish and Goldman Globus actually produced this. It doesn't have the legendary Canon logo in the very beginning like so many so many other, other uh, Bronson kind of vehicles had. But uh, yeah, I am a fan of Death Wish. I love Death Wish 2. I love Death Wish 3. This has a fucking soundtrack by Jimmy Page from Led Zeppelin directed by Michael Winter who did six Bronson pictures including the first three Death Wish films as Shadowsland, Stonekiller, and of course The Mechanic. All cool movies in their own right. Um, I love all of them actually. Um, less Stone Killer, but the rest I love. So this also stars Vincent Gardenia, who I love, Jill Ireland, uh, Bronson's wife, and, um, geez, Lawrence Fishburne pops up in here. Um, 
Jeez, I can't think of the guy who's basically a Tenenbrae off the top of my head, but uh, the guy from Don't Answer the Phone, who's one of the police officers, is also in here as a police, uh, as a cop. But yeah, this is just, uh, of course, you know, it, it, the idea that this is going to happen to Charlie Bronson twice is not as insane. So in the original Death Wish, of course, his family, um, his wife was uh, raped and murdered, and I think his daughter was raped. So he goes out at night and he basically kills muggers and anybody that he comes across that are looking to commit crime. And that was in New York City. City. So in the sequel, basically, he now he's in um, you know Los Angeles, California. I think he's LA. I can't remember exactly the place he is in and Los and in California. But now, uh, basically. He is, uh, um, his family is kind of attacked by a group of thugs, and this is one of the most mean-spirited group of villains I've ever seen. They all are very memorable. Lawrence Fishburne is in there. They all have ridiculous 80s names like Cutter and Nirvana and, and Stopper and Punk Cut and all this kind of shit like that. So, uh, essentially, uh, they, they, um, they steal Bronson's wallet, and Bronson chases one of them down, and it pisses that guy off. So they decide to attack his, you know, home. Um, he's not there at the time, but his mate is, and there's probably one of the most brutal rape scenes ever committed to celluloid in that scene. Um, up there with stuff like I don't want to say Aspen in the Grave because the long the longevity of that scene, I would say, but still it, it bothers. It, it'll make you squirm in your in your seat, uh, make you feel gross. Um, just a real brutal scene. Um, and then uh, of course. Uh, um, the rape of, of somebody else. Like the first 15 minutes, we have two rapes and a murder, and it's just it's just devastating. And uh, like uh, they do the kind of um, I guess you'll say searchers kind of shot here, where like you know the searchers where they show John Wayne's face instead of showing him the violence when he sees what happened to his family. They do that at one point. They kind of reveal a body to Bronson. They just kind of show his face, and he doesn't overact. It's just um, obviously he's completely fucked up. So Bronson does what Bronson does, and he goes out and he tracks these thugs down and he takes them out. Which kind of um, come to one of the best one-liners of all time. Do you believe in Jesus? Um, yeah, and when he shoots them, it's violent. Um, we kind of add this element where Vincent Gardenia is basically the cop from New York that was tracing him. You know, from Little Shop of Horrors and Moonstruck and all sorts of great films. He basically is told that he's got to stop Bronson from doing this in, uh, in California. He's going to get in trouble. I love that he pops up back in here and stuff like that. He's just a fun character actor. He has a lot of fun moments and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Joe Ireland is solid in here as well. Um, and I love Bronson, man. He just, he's believable as a tough guy when he fights and stuff. I just believe him throwing those big fucking lunchboxes, hitting people, and him just shooting people. And, and like, there's just lots of crazy fucking moments in here that made me jump. Like, oh, wow. Like, and I've seen this a, a, a handful of times. I've always enjoyed the Death Wish films. And this one is just, it's brutal, man. And uh, Jimmy Page, like, like, that just hits, man. That hits really awesome. Bronson's stalking the streets, looking to kill some people. We have that music playing in. I love it. It's a fucking awesome movie it looks great in 4k uh, sounds great in 4k um lots of shootouts and good shit like that um geez who's the actor who i didn't even recognize? charles cyphers is in here I didn't even recognize him until i listened to the paul talbot commentary and i was like oh shit that is charles cyphers from halloween and uh of course there's a paul talbot commentary on here he did uh, bronson is loose one and two books and the guy knows everything about bronson if he's on the commentary and you want to learn something about charlie bronson you put it on paul talbot goes over everything he talks about you know and and not just the actors who are in here will talk about this guy went on to work with Bronson later on. Michael Winter says this about this actor. Michael Winter says this about this scene. And he's like, these are the guns that Bronson used here. That's the, that bad guy. He pointed out something that I did not recognize at all. 
um, there's a scene where he goes to catch Jiver, and and um, there's I always thought that one of the the goons that got away was uh, Nirvana, like, and it's not. And I was like, oh shit, you're right, it isn't him. Like I always legitimately thought it was him. So he points out all these little things like that, and uh, the dude loves Bronson. He knows his Bronson, and it's a really good commentary. Um, he talks about seeds where they're like, well, this is improv here. All sorts of little small details that are wonderful. So also you can watch it in Blu-ray if you'd like. It does not have. I don't. I believe it does not have the Greek footage uh, on here, but there's also on the Blu-ray itself, there is features on here, which I did not get a chance to watch, but I made sure I listened to that commentary. Um, Yeah, but the Greek footage is not in here, but it looks fantastic. It sounds fantastic. Man, I'm just so happy to have Death Wish 2 on 4K. I wish we could get the first one. We got three on a great release. We got, I mean, four and five have their Blu-rays and one, of course, but they're not special editions, and I'm a big fan of all five. I mean, of course... You know, I know this is going to sound like blasphemy. I like 2 and 3 the best. Uh, But, I mean, like, 1, 2, and 3 are all perfect. I like 4, too. 5 is fun. But 2 and 3, man, they they just are crazy. And, uh, like I said, one of my favorite group of villains, just because I love watching them die because they're absolute fucking animals. And it's just a sleaze fest, too, on top. So, great stuff. Uh, you know, starting the Globin and Globus Bronson era. Love those movies. So, Death Wish 2. Fucking rad, man. All right, we're going to continue kind of the sleaze and grit. Here we got Walking the Edge with Robert Forrester and Joe Spinell. Yeah, and uh, I think there's other couple pop a uh, couple other people that pop up in here. Let me double check. I don't want to miss anybody. Um, there's a lot of people I recognize, but I don't know their actual names in here, like uh, James McIntyre and all that kind of stuff. So this was 83, they say, but I've seen it also listed as 85. Uh, this is from Fun City Editions, which is this is the first release I've watched from them. I've been picking them up because all their stuff looks fantastic and I'm so happy to finally check this one out. Heard good things. So Robert Forster is a great character actor. I mean, he has been a leading man and stuff like that. Joe Spinell is one of my all-time favorite character actors. Obviously, maniac, and he makes smaller appearances in huge movies, 92 in the Shade, you know, Rocky. I mean, 92 is just not a huge movie, but you guys get what I say. <laughs> Rocky, fuck a godfather. It's Joe Spinell. If you don't know Joe Spinell, don't watch my channel, eh? Um, so, okay. What we have here is Robert Forster's kind of an ex-baseball player. He used to be, a, he's got a hard, hard throw but he's no longer kind of on top of that. He's not doing that. He's driving a cab, but on the side, he's kind of collecting for kind of a, um, he's, he's basically a bookie. You know, he collects money for this big time bookie named Fats or something like that. And uh, one day, um, we also had this kind of so- side storyline and like this whole street seems lived in. Like all the characters seem like they have a history and they know each other. It seems very lived in, if that makes any sense. So um, basically what we have here is a group of thugs. They uh, kill this guy and kill this kid and the woman escapes uh, and she wants revenge and we kind of um she uses the cab to use robert forrester um and he gets involved with this situation and he he doesn't want to be a hero but he doesn't want to be an animal he has compassion so he ends up kind of like sticking his neck out for her and like a lot of the film is him trying to you know he has like this kind of nice guy quality about him and kind of just like finding his like I don't want to say tough guy, but kind of like overcoming and doing the things that are people that kind of screwed him over at certain points and becoming, I don't want to say like a man, but you know, just kind of like doing the things he has to do. But like, uh, the goons are amazing. So like Joe Spinell leads the gang. And if you can have, and it's amazing, Joe Spinell, he's so good in this with his slick back, greasy hair. And like, he has like three main goons that fall around. It's, um, it's Jesus, um, Jimmy and McKee. 
and uh, they're all excellent. Is it Jimmy? Who's the other guy? I think it is Jimmy. So, like, they all have their very memorable look and very memorable dialogue, and, like, in their first interactions, Luis Contreras plays Jesus. I recognized him right away, and the other two guys look familiar, and they have very good, like, kind of faces, character actor faces, so, like, these characters are the, the ones that are kind of, like, the villains throughout the movie, and, like, when you're with Robert Forster, it's excellent. Like, you love seeing him go around town and, and interact with all his friends and kind of stuff like that. He actually interacts with this prostitute who has an amazing performance. Her, She's so natural and so good, and I loved her in the movie. But um, I love the moments when you're interacting with the goons are just kind of interacting with each other. And, like, there's one part where um, McKee is at this baseball kind of, like, hitting range, and uh, Joe Spinell, who's uh, Bru- Bru- Brewster, Bruce Starr, um, is just, like, talking to him. And like they start arguing, and it's it's wonderful. And like, and um, McKee's like, "Don't you ever talk to me like that? I ain't fucking Jimmy." And yeah, yeah, and then Joe Spinell's like, "Fair enough." Like, but like he just knows something bad's gonna happen. Anyways, I just like these kind of movies. I like the movies with gangs. Like, I'm a big fan of like goon squads and gangs. And and when you have like it led by Joe Spinell with a lot of familiar kind of like goons in here, um. Like, they just look like they, you remember every single one of them. Like I said, there's only like four, but very memorable. And Robert Forrester, just being Robert Forrester, kind of going around and meeting all these people and talking to them and shit. Um, they do manage to squeeze in some nudity and stuff. And, and uh, there's a couple moments of cruelty, which kind of surprised me, like, in, in terms of violence. I mean, I was like, oh, shit, that's, that's kind of a little bit further than I expected it to go. Um, as far as the special features are concerned on the Fun City disc, we have Scoring the Edge, a new video interview with composer Jay Chataway who I know worked with William Lustig before. He did, like, the Maniac Cop movies. Dr. I'm sorry, uh, Detective Jurgensen remembers Forrester and Spinell. A new interview with French Connection cop Randy Jurgensen. This guy worked on stuff like Maniac. He's actually in Maniac at the very end. And, of course, you know, all these kind of other classic movies and stuff. And he's got a really interesting story coming from the detective background and working in films. And he talks about working with Spinell and Forrester. And these guys were friends of his, very familiar with them. And then we have a booklet with a new essay by filmmaker and writer Jim Hempton. Newly recorded audio commentary by film historian Chris Pelagi and film producer Mike Verboys. Archival audio audio commentary by director Norman Minsell and stars Robert Forrester and Nancy Kwan. I will say, though, um, a lot of the acting is really solid, really natural, and feels like a lot of the characters feel like City real lived in. But some of the side characters, not everybody, is iffy. You know, I, I don't want to point out anybody in particular. All the char- all the people I talked about, I loved. Um, and, and and but some of the some of them are a little iffy. They're not up to snuff. I mean, but when you're talking, you got to act against Robert Forrester and Joe Spinell. You ain't gonna be up to snuff, okay? Um, anyways, it looked fantastic. It sounded fantastic. And I didn't. This is the first time I registered. That is fucking Joe Spinell up there in the corner uh anyways it's a movie that i've never seen and i know it had an Edgar bay dvd which i never did get i had a spanish import dvd that i was gonna watch that i saw get released on blu-ray i was like you know what now's the time to watch walking the edge loved it uh good stuff entertaining as hell and the i do like the idea that the female lead like she takes it in her own the revenge in her own hands you know and she does a lot of damage on her own which i dug too so yeah anyways great stuff check out walking the edge uh good double feature with death wish too if you're looking for as kind of gritty streets and everything like that um but if you're a little like sensitive to like the harshness and stuff watch the r-rated cut of death wish too because i'm not kidding that 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 some real rough stuff in there
Okay, the next one I don't have a copy of, but um, I heard a lot of crazy things about it. It's a black and white film from 1988 called Noisy Requiem, the Japanese film, and I don't know how to go about this. After watching this, I was like, I don't know what the fuck this is. This is also by, it's by the same director of Big Pig Chicken Suicide from 1978, which I need to watch. It's supposed to be also crazy. So Noisy Requiem, I would say, is an epic. It's two and a half hours long, and it follows kind of all these kind of derelicts in the city, um, and the city looks kind of like this rundown industrial sleaze place and it just looks horrible it doesn't it looks like i don't know like if i mean i don't even call it david lynch but it it doesn't it just looks really sleazy and industrial and there's just not much going on like i mean as far as like opportunity i would say but we also feel like we're not in the real world like because weird supernatural elements happen but we fall around these characters like i said one in the very beginning seems to murder a woman he puts her in this kind of pit which you're like oh shit this is really dark and he takes out some of her innards and this character kind of lives on this rooftop and he has this mannequin that he's in love with and and like he takes these innards and puts them inside this woman and we also have the characters like these two um small people that he works for and i believe the male small person is definitely the one in android and notre dame i would guess they look i believe it's him so basically he works for these this this brother and sister that are both small people and they're two of the kind of major characters major characters in the world and this world and we also have kind of like this young couple and then we have kind of like a homeless bum at the same time but like it's just kind of watching a lot of these characters kind of wander through the streets and come across these awful weird things like at one point our kind of like serial killer i guess i'll call him a serial killer he beats these two like kind of like vets down and you don't know if they're actually vets or not but like it's just i don't know how to go about this it's two and a half hours long and i don't have two and a half hours worth of speak for it (laughs) but like i said there's some real nasty gnarly things and and logic doesn't really fit there it's it's surreal and weird and like there's moments of like just necrophilia and like um uh, like I said, and, and them all murdering each other and just carrying out these horrible acts and incest. And it just has like a lot of these taboo check marks on there, but it has like an artistic flair, like long camera shots. And, and I feel like they almost use miniatures at one point, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. Like, I mean, it's a weird film and it's kind of one of a kind. I, I think you'd have to see it for yourself and I don't know how to rate it or talk about it without some context. And I'd like to probably see it again, but it's two and a half hours long. So how do you, how do you rewatch? this thing five or six times it's just a, it's a crazy weird movie and i definitely will check out more of his films like pig chicken suicide but just as a first glimpse at noisy requiem um it's weird and i'd like to see it get a release i, I maybe some features on here and everything like that it would be an interesting one like i said there's kind of like a do-it-yourself gorilla style camera work and things like that that i did appreciate too and it's not a horror film Although all the things I'm describing would suggest it is. Um, I don't know how to say about it, man. It's just a fucking weird movie. Surreal, drama, messed up, dark. Um, Looks nuts, too. So, yeah, Noisy Requiem. Okay, the next one I'll also be fairly brief with. It is like a, it's a short. It's called Death Powder. That's right, from 1986. And uh, yeah, this is weird. Like it opens up and you're like, are we doing, are we doing Blade Runner here? It's like these two body hunters are after a replicant of sorts, but they're supposed to go to this studio or there's this artist that's supposed to leave and they're working for certain people. It's kind of really weird and I'm not sure exactly what's going on. But when these two kind of bounty hunters enter the property, um, they, they kind of are ambushed by like what they see is like this android that 
that shoots a death powder in this guy's face and essentially he starts to hallucinate and physically change and morph and this artist is attacking the, them and they eventually get the upper hand but then things start to change as this guy starts to morph and like you start to like they start to see like this guy's past and 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 it gets real weird and they kind of change sides and we have this all-out gore fest fight scene until the whole movie turns into this giant weird blob of surreal shit and you're just like I don't know what the fuck's happening. I don't understand what the hell's going on, but it's definitely kind of body horror in the weirdest kind of way. There's some cool gore gags and heads getting knocked off and all sorts of shit and gross stuff and just weird shit that you don't even know how to explain. A lot of people say this is kind of a precursor Tetsuo, which came out in 89, but I know some of the other stuff kind of like uh, would basically kind of be a precursor to Tetsuo as well, like just kind of the stylistic filmmaking stuff, like what is the one like uh, Burst City maybe possibly could be just in terms of editing maybe. But this one does have the weird kind of morphing and body change and surreal quality about it. Although nothing's going to match te- match Tetsuo when it comes to that kind of you know uh, like I, I guess you'd say like uh, weird kind of metal techno. Uh, what, what's the fucking word? Cyberpunk. I'm looking for. So yeah, I, I, they also say. Uh, but it is a weird movie. Like bonkers don't know how to go about it it's a short and at first it plays kind of like blade runner but it gets even weirder like <laughs> it's like uh japanese is the answer to blade runner and tetsuo before tetsuo that's kind of what we're looking at when we talk about death powder um i would recommend checking it out if it interests you but it is not easy to follow it gets really blobby and gooey at the end and i'm just like this is gross and weird and i don't know what kind of state of mind this thing or what what the hell's going on here in death powder but yeah weird Okay, now we're going to hit the Patreon pick here, and I believe this was a Tom Brooker. This is Cockneys vs. Zombies. This is an import, and I had not seen this one since, hell, it came out probably when I imported that. And, of course, um, they always put this fucking quote on any zombie comedy. Oh, it has to have Shaun, Shaun of the Dead somewhere mentioned on there. I know that drives a lot of people crazy. I know Moods and JP love that. But uh, anyways, Cockneys vs. Zombies. Okay, this is just kind of a fun kind of zombie comedy. Um, almost lighthearted in a lot of ways, although it is gory. So what we have here is a family, these two brothers and a cousin, and their granddad's uh, old folks home is going to get closed down by this shitty kind of like corporation, this company that's this industrial, this uh, construction company. They're coming in. They're going to they're closing down. They're building up a new building out of yada yada so they decide to rob a bank um and with a with a kind of a, a crazy guy that's a war vet with the plate in his head because he can get him the weapons and another friend of theirs who's kind of a an idiot and uh while they're about to do this there is a zombie apocalypse kind of about to break out and everything like that and the where the zombies come from is very cool very kind of euro horror spanish cult like i mean crypt crypts kind of stuff like tombs of the line dead or or burial ground or something like that and that's really cool we see some skeleton zombies which you rarely see and essentially, um, right when they're about, after they're during the robbing the bank, of course, there's all out chaos because they're zombies. So they have the hostages have to survive to work together with the criminals. And of course, they're all on their way to help the old folks and stuff like that. So we have a lot of old people fighting zombies and a lot of funny stuff like that. And these kind of half wit criminals fighting zombies and stuff like that. The gore is really good. We have like a ripped off jaw. We have, you know, uh, you know, hand grenade, all sorts of kind of fun gore gags and shit like that. And like, it's very much a product of its time at that. You know what I mean? Like, uh, a lot of people shooting zombies and having some good gags and gore stuff. It, it's just very kind of lighthearted and fun. Although a lot of the characters, they're very precious with their characters. They don't kill very many of them. And there's like a lot. There's like 13, 14 major characters and only like four, maybe five die. So that's kind of a letdown. But then again, like it, it, a lot of the characters are characters you really don't want to see die because they're pretty well established and likable. But uh, yeah, there's a decent amount of action. There's a decent amount of zombie carnage. There's some fun gags with old people running from zombies. Of course, that would be very, pri- you know, 
And like, yeah, it's just a fun little zombie film. Uh, you could do a lot worse. Um, and I enjoy it. I like it. It's, it's good stuff. Just easy watch and everything like that. And uh, one of the characters, basically the kind of crazy war vet, is absolutely terrifying. He has like a certain intensity about him. He's he's really good. But yeah, all, all the acting's good and solid and the gore's good and solid. It's just a fun little zombie film. Cockneys vs. Zombies, obviously an English one too. So yeah, check it out. I think you'll like it. All right, guys, we're here for Blind Spot, and you picked something I can't pronounce, and I had no clue what it was called. So what Kizu was it? Monotakari. Again? Kizu Monotakari. Can we shorten that up? Uh, Kizu. I think it means like wound story or something. Wound story. Yes. So part okay. one. Part one of three. Yeah. This Iron is, Blood. <laughs> this is about an hour long, and uh, yeah, essentially what we have here is kind of your anime story. Where a character is kind of like he's a, he's in high school, right? And he's kind of like having a blossoming like coming of age story. But he one day on the subway, he hears somebody calling for help, and he finds this what he thinks is a vampire, kind of terribly wounded, no arms, mm-hmm. no legs, begging for help, and wants his blood. And this complicates things. He does it, and then some bounty hunter va- vampires come after him. That's pretty much what I gathered from this. <laughs> That's basically yeah. Basically, he um. You know, he's he's like this like high school loner and he's finding love for the first time an actual human connection and so he goes out to celebrate and you know, finds the wounded vampire and They set her up earlier too, the mythology of the silver haired vampire and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. Um and so so she turns him into a vampire because she you know, he doesn't have enough blood in him to actually like become like fully formed. So she comes back as like a little kid. And she's like, hey, if you just get all my limbs from these guys that stole my I'll limbs. I'll have my full power. I'll have my full power. And I might be able to turn you back into a human. Um, and because he wants to be human because he wants to date that girl. Yeah, you know, he he, he wants to be human. You know, he can't <laughs> go in the sun. Actually, the opening cinematic, I think, is yeah amazing. Well, it, it's very much like Near Dark. If, if you've ever seen it near dark, like it's like kind of a Western vampire film. And at the end, like mm-hmm. modern Western, they like, they catch fire, but they always like throw these like rugs or like things over them. to like, mm-hmm. and, and like they catch fire and they're like fucking running while catching fire <laughs> in the sun. And they do that here. It's a lot easier to do an animation yeah. than actually set somebody on fire. That's why it's so impressive in near dark. But uh, yeah, yeah, I, I really don't have too much to say negative nor positive about it. I like the actual animation, but the backgrounds mm-hmm. were kind of cheap looking to me and, and flat. I guess flat because they were using some sort of special computer generated stuff, right? Yeah, it, um, some of the backgrounds I think looked amazing, but some of them were very. Um, it, there's like a lot of like CG in this. Like it's definitely like a lower budget <laughs> movie. Um, some of like the far away shots, they, they, they tend to use more like rig models for. It seems like people walking, and it looks kind of hokey. But is actual... that a manga? Was this a? It's based off a light novel. So a light novel is basically a short novel. It's a novella. Novella. Um, you know, they usually, they usually have like illustrations in them, things like that. Um, they're kind of popular. A lot of anime now tends to get usually. So so how, how things work in Japan is like you get the light novel, you you get the unrelated manga version, you get like the the two episode incomplete OVA you might get a couple of movies and then and then you forget about it because a new light novel comes out and it's all the rage and you know you know to hell with whatever was in vogue like you know two weeks ago I, I don't have much to say about it like I, I mean the bad guys were there was three of them right 
Right, there are three bad guys, and they all had special powers, but you barely get an introduction. This is a very much introductory episode. Like, you right. learn who all the bad guys are, you learn what his mission is, he's a vampire now, and, and that's pretty much it. Like, it's not the full story. No, no, but so, so this is three <laughs> parts. Um, you know, I didn't know how... How much you were going to get in the first part. How much part. I was going to get in the first part, and so, so I'll probably end up picking them um, for the next... Well, you got a couple of picks. A, a thing, so we might have to pre-record one. Right, or and I, I'm going out of town in a couple of weeks for you know a week and or ten days or so, and um, so we we'll might have to squeeze in those just because they're quick. Right, so so they're quick, they're easy, you know, such as myself. <laughs> and um, classic, right? Classic joke. Um, but no, no, it's so. It, I think it's really cute. It's really fun. I love the animation style. Like, like not even like the animation style because the animation's <laughs> kind of hokey. There's some great animated scenes. But I love the character design. Um, I did like the beginning when, like, the girl's out in the wind and her breasts are bouncing and the skirt blows right. off. It's just like, what a great coming of age story. Like, like, I, I don't think Dave is used to anime, so like, I, I mean, I am. <laughs> uh, trust me. Like, I watched. They're not anime, but they're essentially more perverse in just a darker yeah. way. But uh, yeah, like, I, I understand the voyeur, and this is like kind of schoolgirl stuff too. Yeah, it, it's fan servicey. It's it's not anything that's like overtly graphic. Um, in a sexual way, it's definitely graphic in like the blood way. Um, the there's not that much murder in here though, if I remember correctly. Well, no, but there's but really she's only... ripped to pieces. That's that's a great scene because at first she's like, "You do not have to do." I guess I'll let you uh, give me your blood. But then like he's leaving, and she's like, "Please come back." And she starts like begging, and, and she's just like this like like torso. It's, it's kind of like the cast of Amontillado, <coughs> but mm-hmm. different. Like cause at first he's like, "Oh, great, just friend," and then like. He, he like starts getting like more and more panicked, mm-hmm. and then like at the very like, end, no wait, <laughs> he just hears him laughing because he lost it. That's that's my favorite post story. Um, oh, I, well, I mean, I'm always partial to the Raven, but no, that one's so good. That one's so perfect. It's okay. I, I mean, mo- most of Poe is fantastic. <laughs> I I argue to say that Poe is the best horror writer of all time. I I, I might actually say I mean, that. Who who would I mean who's better than him? I mean like you you would say some people say Stephen King. Anybody that's going to say anybody Some people would say Lovecraft. And, <laughs> and and all those are derivative of Poe, so just read Poe. Um <laughs> derivative. Okay. Uh, I I have nothing else to say about this. I do have um a few other things to say about this. However, um I just have to remember what they were cuz you threw me on a damn tangent with Poe, you fool. Go. Um Oh, yeah. So, so like, like the way it shot. Like, it's really weird because it's kind of like shot like a late '90s, early 2000s, like anime MV, like music video, where like it gives them like flashing to like different words. Like, I, I don't know. Stylistically, it's it's not a very straightforward film. Did you like remember that? Like, it would like flash to like a scene change, and it would just flash like the color like rogue or noir or yeah. I, I, I was very baffled by that. I was like. And it what? does it for the whole duration, <laughs> like like every five seconds, or not five seconds, like every like maybe like thirty five seconds, you get like the flash of like you know just a word like scary or like you know, just, just, it was weird. I, I didn't quite understand what was going on. <laughs> so I'm curious to see if that's going to continue on into the second movie, and if it makes it means anything. Like I, like I said, I'd give it like a six out of ten just because I didn't really. I thought it was fine, but it was very. Uh, popcorny bubblegum stuff oh yeah nothing that left the lasting impression on me i can't remember anything else what would you give it you know probably like a four out of five maybe maybe a three and a half 
I, I really like the animation style, but you know we're, we are judging an incomplete work. It's yeah, that's what I mean. Like I can't right. as a whole because and, and like it's less it's less full. It's less complete than you would think. Right. Just, but it is episode one. It, it's episode one of three, and you know it doesn't. I think like my rating because like like visually it's really neat. It's fantastic. Narratively speaking, it's incomplete so far so i mean it's we're gonna have to see like where it ends up going it, it's i have a feeling it's gonna be very run-of-the-mill but the main vampire lady i think she looks cool like like she has like a stupid name it's like um l driver in um kill bill i don't know like she has like that really long stupid name like cotton black snake mountain rattle oh i, I, I can't remember I can't what her it's, it's something stupid but then like her the vampire's name it's like like sword in heart like blood stain like i can't remember what it is off the top of my head just like i said i i don't i don't remember it very much like i said i said what i meant i said what i said and i meant it what are you going to talk about for five more minutes actually no, we'll, we'll just We're pick done. we'll just pick your yes, great movie um i'll give you a choice you can pick angst which uh-huh. is a serial killer film i talked about mm-hmm. hard target hard target that's an action movie with yeah. um, john claude van damme john claude van damme and wilford brimley and Wilford Brimley. And Lance Hendrickson. And Lance Hendrickson. And, 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 uh, you know what? I'll leave it at those two. Just those two? Yeah. Well, what's Inks? It's a serial killer movie. Is it a Japanese one? No. Is it an American one? No, it's European. It's German. Oh. But it's 83. You know, we'll go hard target. Really? Yeah. Okay. I, I don't know if I can handle it. A... It's not, uh, it's not York Bukharet style. It's not also German Splatter. It's it's a professionally well made film. It's like an actual movie. It's not. It's, it's not what York Buckeret's excellent, by the way. No, no, he, we he, love he, York Buckeret. He absolutely is. It's just I've also seen my fair share of German. But this SOB is not German Splatter. Splatter. This is not Sob. This is a. Let's put it this way: Gaspar Noe. This is one of his favorite films. Gaspar Noe made like Enter the Void and Irreversible. So like art films, like in a lot of ways. This is it's a it's a fucked up movie, but it's it's not like just some guy like fucking a salad bowl and cutting his dick off or something like that. What what what? It's you, not Olaf Ittenbach, okay? It's not uh, Andre Snage. Are you reviewing movies from '83? No. Did you have to watch one from '83 before? No, but uh, you know, it's just. Why this movie? What is about this movie? Well, it's something that's coming up that I might have to talk about later, and I want to revisit it. Two birds, one stone. And plus, this. I have never covered on the show, <laughs> and I have not watched this. I might have, I watched this movie probably 15 years ago. And I liked it. And now it's got a Blu-ray. Well, but let's just do this then. Okay. I, mean, I think this is probably going to be more interesting than Hard Target. Blu-ray. Our Target's amazingly entertaining. John Woo. Who's John Woo? The guy who directed Hard Boiled. Oh, right, 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 right. But and and Wilford Brimley's in here, and he's got like a Cajun accent. He's like, I feel like I've seen Hard Target. And he's Target. on a horse? He's like, If I haven't seen Hard Target, I think I've seen it parodied enough times to know what Hard Target is. I don't is. think anybody parodied Hard Target except Hard Target. Right. Isn't there a Simpsons with like Cajuns? And... Uh, I don't know if that has anything to do with Hard okay, Target. Okay, I don't know. Hey, you're stealing my car. I like that. All right, are we done? I get it. All right, we're done. Wait, wait, wait. So we're doing inks, right? Yeah. Okay, inks next week. Bye. All right, let's get into these questions, comments, concerns, all that good stuff. Isimisio. 
Cure is fantastic. Such an underrated flick. Needs more attention. I feel like a lot of people are turned off by the long, slow burn Asian horror. But if you watch it during the right mindset and mood, you'll come to appreciate a lot of them. Most live-action anime films are pretty cringe. The actual anime is way better. Black Hat looks awesome. I love The Sentinel, one of my favorite 70s horror films. Some crazy visuals and love the claustrophobic uh, apartment vibes. And that twist that happens two-thirds in. Burgess Meredith is absolutely a highlight in this movie. I'm sorry to hear you're sick, too. I've been sick for a month, coughing my lungs out, and thankfully for my uh, cured sick hours. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. I actually love putting on body horror when I'm sick um, and just watch people disintegrate as my health disintegrates as well. Haha. <laughs> also been trying to catch up on the 2022 films since I've been resting and sleeping a lot. I've been lagging behind on a lot of the things. Still need to watch the heavy hitters like X and the Sadness. Great update. Yeah, I need to watch X too. And X sounds good. X to me sounds like it's a good movie. Um, James Grammer. I don't get sick often, but if I was sick, I would watch Ghoulies 2 or The Big Hit for a good laugh. Critters or Critters 2 would be also be fun. And if I wanted to have my mind banded, I would probably go with a Scanner Dark it really depends on what mood I'm in. The Maniac. Can't go wrong with the classic Universal. Uh, basically, I asked what movies you guys like to watch when you're sick, because last week I was feeling kind of sick. Feel good, nah. Um, uh, basically, can't go... Cl- okay, so, yeah. The Maniac says, can't go wrong with the classic Universal Monsters movies on a sick day. They're just comforting for me. Get well soon, Dave. Thank you. Ken Coakley. In the early stages of the pandemic, I had to quarantine after visiting a nurse. Con- uh, after my visiting nurse contracted COVID, and since I was exposed to her without her wearing a mask, I wanted waited to be sick myself. I then watched the first five seasons of Fear the Walking Dead. I then watched the Leprechaun movies, then Chucky movies. Once, when I was sick in 2000, I made the mistake of watching a film version of Pink Floyd's The Wall. When my temperature gets high, I hallucinate. So after watching the movie, I started seeing the marching uh, hammers. I saw my father, who died when I was five. Pink Pink Floyd The Wall would not be good to watch when you're uh, sick. For me, at least. In 1987, I was so sick that I hallucinated that Freddy Krueger was coming out of my bedroom wall. It made sense to binge watch shows or movie series when you get sick. Yeah, I agree. I think so, too. Um... Then we have, he also says, I love Flesh Eater as well. As a guy who loves Halloween and George Romero movies, this movie was right up my alley. Romero was upset at Bill Heinzman for making the movie. At least it was uh, from a cast member of Night of the Living Dead, so it was kept in house. Yeah, 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 I remember for sure. Yeah, I remember hearing about that. Him and Russo were both pissed. As for Death Wish 2, love that as well, even though 3 was my favorite sequel because it felt like a cross between a trauma movie and an Italian post-apocalyptic film. I saw the first one in a drive-in in 1974 and 2 and another drive-in in 81. Another actor that was in Death Wish 2 is Charles Cyphers from Assault on Precinct 13, Halloween, and Escape from New York, The Fog, and many others. He played the orderly at the mental hospital. Yeah, I completely forgot about him being in that until I heard the Paul Talbot commentary. There's a YouTube channel called The Rageaholic with funny metalhead discussing action films under the title Rageaholic Cinema. It's worth checking out. Okay. Somebody post, uh, I, I, Oaks, who are you and why are you in my fees? Um, I think he means feed. Um, I don't know. You know how the fucking internet works, bro? Don't fucking comment that shit. Uh, Nikki Brown. Get well soon, Dave. Great review. You Unless it's a quote from a movie, I don't remember. That happens sometimes. So I think somebody's saying something mean or rude, and I'm just like, and I don't remember the quote. Okay, Nikki Brown. Get well soon, Dave. Uh, great review. You always make me watch the whole thing. So enjoyable. Not in here, but you mentioned The Beyond. It had a Dutch text-only adventure on PC in the 80s. I played with my mom. Yes, I'm old too. I kind of like the Death Note real actor thing. When I'm sick, I like rewatch uh, rewatch things. Zombie TV series like Kingdom, because then there's there is a lot. I get you. Um, Beyond video game? Um, clean family video videos? I really want the Watchers films to all get released uh, because they all go for like 80 to 150 bucks online and I don't want to fucking pay that. Is part two the only way they're put only one they're putting out now? As far as I know, one might be Lionsgate. I don't know a hundred percent, 
But 81 Oak Ridge, Deathwish 2 4K, that's the unrated version, right? Because the rape scene is way more intense and a few minutes longer than the R-cut. Yes, it is. You and your horror movies? I wish Freak was a little bit longer, but I still had a good time with it. Spirit Animal was a fun little slasher. Yep. Uh, Bucket Pothead 007. Janice Films recently completed a 4K restoration of uh, Kurosawa's Cure. And they released a trailer of the 4K Restro the second half of last year. Looks like a noticeable upgrade over the Eureka disc. And their page lists a Blu-ray under formats. But nothing from Criterion yet about an upcoming Blu-ray release of the 4K Restro. A Blu-ray of the new Restro was released in Japan by uh, Kadokawa Entertainment back in November 2020. I guess I'm going to hold off then. Kentuckinator, uh, the Sentinel's great. Winner should have done more horse stuff. I would have liked to see him do more horse stuff. I hope you're getting well and you don't die. I will not die. The Double Shot J, seeing Spirit Animal in the theater was a lot of fun, I bet. Wayne Thompson, anything hammer. Those are like comfort pair of shoes, comfortable pair of shoes. Lacey Lou, I once had food poisoning and attempted to watch House of the on the Corpses. That was a horrible idea. So now when I, when um sick, I go for something less gory. So something along the lines of The Craft or What Happened to Baby Jane were the last ones I watched while sick. Good choices. Cassidy Botwin, franchise whore. Jason Lindbergh, anything by Lucifer Valentine. Just kidding. I'll go with Star Wars since that was my last choice for a sick day. I did watch Spaceballs one day when I was sick for the first time and loved it when I was a kid. Mike Parsons, Videodrome, Dead and Buried, The Fog, A Better Tomorrow. Just so happens they're my favorite movies to fall asleep to as well. Uh, Guy and Septic, Dora Movies, Golden Glove, Death of Mr. LaRarsuk, and I like these. Oh, I Golden Glove, man. I don't know if I want to watch that when I'm sick. Uh, J.S. Scott, Hammer Whore. Jeff Keith, I once was out of work for a week with, from radiation poisoning. Reactor meltdown. Chernobyl Diaries. Um, Priscilla Mann, Groundhog's Day. Harry Collins, A Little House on the Prairie. I call bullshit on that. Um, Jeff, John Soloway, I don't go for horror when I'm sick. I go for long, dramatic movies you lose yourself in. Apocalypse Now, Redux, Heat, Taxi Driver, Deer Hunter, Dances with Wolves, Director's Cut. Just pop them on, lights out, rug up, and immerse yourself. Not bad. Nadine Harris, Vamp, Evil Dead 2, Scary Movie 1 and 2. I also stick these on the background if I have to work and I'm not in the mood. Uh, Rob Kopinski, The Thing 82, Jaws, and generally most old horror that is black and white. Yo Kim Johansson, Texas Chainsaw 2, Sadie Tat, Tate, Alice in Wonderland, uh, Septum Sin for a while was Princess Bride. Mark Humphreys, Raiders of the Lost Ark, usually, but last time I ended up watching Suspiria, 77. Michael King, Sanford and Son, All in the Family. Tom Baker's Doctor Who. The Jeffersons, 70 sitcoms are great. Justin T. Ord, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Uh, Lucas Tout, the Serbian film. Daniel Carlson, Angel Heart. Sam Edwards, Hammer Horror, Universal Horror, Big Trouble in Little China, Escape from New York, or just some old sitcom episodes. James D. Coaxed, I've got kids now. I'm not allowed to get sick. Used to be Tremors. Brandon Terry, comfort films like Return of the Living Dead, Society, Reanimator, Fulci's Gates of Gates Trilogy. Um, do you mean movies that I watch when I feel under the weather or movies I watch after I hit a fat t- tree slip down 10 stair? Skater thing? I don't know. But I was talking about when you feel sick. Um, and I don't mean sick. Um... Amy Fox Goodwin, pretty much any 80s comedy, teen drama like John Hughes films or any Audrey Hepburn movie, and Amelie. Corey Walter, I like the Dimension direct-to-video sequels of Hellraiser and Show of the Corn franchise. I still pop the in the tapes I had from growing up. Yul Rick Dolfing, any body whore. Sean Donahue, Fears Bureau's Day Off. Chet Turner, Old Merchant, Ivory Films, The Bostonians, Room with a View. Uh, Tony Phila, Phillips Junkin, any 80s Italian whore. Renee Royer. My go-to feel better will always be The Thing. Um, Hayden Hall, Poltergeist 3, or Clue. P.G. Fernandez, anything by John Hughes, John Waters, or Russ Meyer. Brian Pollan, Old Godzilla Films, Dylan Young, Army of Darkness. 
Bart Hyatt, Fifth Element, all-time comfort movies. Um, Aaron Fram, Trouble Flicks. Jay Wall, it's probably a common answer, but John Carpenter's the thing. There's just something about the cold and the idea of being infected with something. Adrian Roberts, Dawn of the Dead 78, on repeat every single time. Sometimes I will sneak in Chopping Mall and then imagine a world where the two movie ideas crossed over in a mall. Imagine the kill boss left alone in a mall where they show up. And when they all... And all the zombie horde comes in the end. Justin Patrick, It, 1990. Phantasm 1 through 4, mainly because I remember being sick as a kid and they were on Sci Fi Channel. Scott McMeachin, something lighthearted such as Private Eyes or Smokey and the Bandit. Chris Ellsworth, Outbreak. Matthew Cantor, The Tremors movies. I just put them on random and chill on the couch. Stephen McNulty, Reanimator, Tremors, or The Burbs. Nick Mua. Hope you've just uh, recovered, Dave, and as good as my new favorite flick to watch, um, as good as new, my favorite flick to watch when sick is Mrs. Doubtfire. Always makes me feel better. Also, Sister Act. How can that movie not bring a smile to your face? Questions. Have you seen any of the Hellraiser movies not starring Doug Bradley? If so, care to share your thoughts? I have not. Um, I really enjoyed the last two Child's Play movies who went back to being scary. Do you prefer the creepy Child's Play movies or the funny ones? Um, believe it or not, I've only watched the first four on the remake. Um... I'm not like I don't watch a lot of the newer franchise films. Um, I I actually probably prefer like three. Like I prefer them kind of goofy, but not too goofy. Fun. I prefer them fun. If that makes any sense. Um, do you ever do you ever own a toy that scared you? Take care. Yes, I did. Me, uh, I had a, my buddy, and me. It's funny you brought up Child's Play. Me and my brother had seen Child's Play two on television, and he's four four and a half years older than me. I was probably about four. And maybe three and a half, four. And the my buddy terrified me. And my brother convinced me. He's like, he's going to get, he's like Chucky, man. He's going to wake up and kill you. So, like, we beat the crap out of him and then tried to shove him down the hamper. But his big plastic head got stuck in the hamper chute. And we could not get him out. And my dad was so pissed off. He had to go in the basement and, like, rip his body off. Like, rip the body apart to get him out and then use a broom handle to pop the plastic head out of the hamper because we shoved him so far down. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> it's funny stuff. Uh, Bill Casanelli, Jason X, Jody Sample Riley, Mary Poppins, Watson, Tombstone, because when I'm sick and maybe drunk at the same time, it helps me better uh, uh, empathize with Doc Holliday. I'm in my prime. Chris Neal, the original Transformers animated movie. I would watch it every time I stayed home sick. It was one of the best. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles as well. Mark Jones, Ferris Bueller, Snow Day, Evil Dead. I first saw The Shining at 10 years old when I had a fever. Christopher Webb, don't think I have allocated sick movies, but Star Wars Episode 4 through 6 and Rogue One are pretty comfy movies. Christopher Dallier, Orozco the Embalmer. Uh, late uh, Free Joe Bahansen, Lord of the Rings films, South Park, and Doctor Who episodes. So that brings me to the question of the week. Also, I want to give a shout-out to James Baker, new patron. Thanks you very much. I really appreciate it. Um, anything you need, reach out to me and get back to me. I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Um, so the question of the week, since we covered the sadness this week, what is the most violent film you've ever seen? And I know violence and gore is not always the same thing, but the sadness is pretty fucking violent, too. So what is the most violent film you've ever seen? Yeah, let's hear them. And let's hop into that update. Okay, let's hop into this update. First up is, of course, the 4K of henry portrait of a serial killer um this is one of my all-time favorite films ever made um absolutely love it i know that there's problems with the disc i guess one of the scenes is missing and it cuts to a scene that's already played i know arrow is going to make up uh, order direct from them so shouldn't have to worry about it uh, I, I definitely wanted to pop this in and check it out but i'm going to wait until i get the replacement disc but uh yeah anyways amazing film one of my all-time favorites, and I bet it looks great in 4K. 
even though it's a grungy looking movie who knows and then we have um an order i got from indicator when they had their sale so here we go um this is a while ago so i hate the lighting here it's just really too much glare um a little better Okay, so we have Fragment of Fear from 1970 with David Hemmings. Pretty cool thriller film. I wanted to give it another chance. I did not own it, so I picked it up. I did watch it once, but yeah, this is not the collector's edition. They were out of that. But anyways, cool movie. If you guys not seen it. Then we have Torture Garden, which is an anthology. I believe it's an amicus. I seen this years ago, but it's got Jack Plants, Burgess Meredith, uh, Peter Cushing. For, it's directed by Freddie Beverly Adams. It's directed by Freddie Francis, who I love. So yeah, this one I remember being fun, and Jack Plants is amazing in it. <sighs> Edgar Allan Poe, just heavy breathing. Um, and I do have the Mill Creek, but I was like, you know what? I imagine the indicator discs are better. So I did that. I, I updated, uh, upgraded a little bit on some of them, and I forgot to get... Um, uh, you know, the one, the one with uh, Peter Vaughn from Hammer. I wanted to upgrade that, and I completely forgot. Um, so then we have The Gorgon, which I also had on Blu-ray from uh, um, Mill Creek. But I love this movie. Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, Hammer Flick. One of my favorites. Really good stuff. And I love the chemistry between Christopher Lee and, and Peter Cushing in this one. So this is a cool film for sure. And then we have The Taste of Fear, which is one of the better Hammer films for sure. It's kind of like a thriller deal, but uh, it's like the wheel, the girl stuck in a wheelchair, and it's like you don't know uh, who, who's like, are the gaslighting or all sorts of cool stuff. AK uh, Fear, uh, something, what is the AK name? Scream of Fear, I believe, is the AK name. Good stuff, but it has a bunch of features too, which I love because the other disc doesn't have any. And then this one I adore, The Damned, a.k.a. These Are the Damned, with Oliver Reed, another Hammer sci-fi flick here. Uh, this is probably one of my all-time favorite Hammer movies, to be honest. It's just really great stuff, really sci-fi, kind of in the vein of Village of the Damned or inspired by it. But uh, really great stuff, and I had to have the one with features on there again. Then we have another indicator title here. We have uh, Lilith with Warren Betty and Gene Seberg. And I've not seen this. It just sounded interesting enough for me to grab it on the sale. Uh, before Eve, there was evil, and her name was Lilith. Uh, the first woman I guess we're going with here so uh, yeah pick that one up and last we got track 29 which uh, Teresa Russell Gary Ullman Christopher Lloyd Nicholas Rogue film a Roge film however you say it did a bunch of movies he was her dream and her obsession her son and her lover wow that's uh doesn't sound very good <laughs> this is the limited edition here and yeah i definitely want to check this out when i get a chance but that is the update let's uh get back to the video all right guys thank you very much for watching and as always have a good one thanks